morning and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle and I'm your host as always. This is season three, episode five. We are talking this week about friends with benefits and play partners and how the applications of uh, polyamorous theory, relationship anarchy, and in general consensual non-monogamy apply to these relationships that are sort of not necessarily strictly polyamory, but can certainly fall into your polyamorous network work there. So uh, I just, as always, want to thank my patrons, Corwin, who wants to give a quick shout out uh, to his friends, Tony of Tilted Tripod uh, Graphic Design and Photography, who actually designed my logo for the podcast. So, you know, the little picture that you see wherever you grab your podcast from, Tony made that for me. He's a sweetheart. Uh, and Vida Dose, his wife, who's a really sweet lady, uh, for being a big support to him at Upline. Uh, and of course, shout outs are one of the benefits that you get at a certain level of patronage. Uh, so also my other patrons, Jacqueline, uh, the Green Wolf podcast, and uh, Timmy, who are generally just great people who I'm really happy to have on board. They help me keep the lights on. If you'd love to join us, that's patreon.com slash ready for polyamory. I'm also on Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory if you enjoy this episode and want to get me a cup of coffee in quotes. Um, so let's go right into this week's episode. I don't have a guest with me this week. So you've just got me uh, and some quick definitions to make sure that we're all on the same page. As always, consensual non-monogamy is the idea of an open and honest relationship where folks have agreed on some ground rules uh, that define their relationship as in some way non-monogamous, that is non-exclusive. They can see more than one person in some predefined manner. It may or may not be romantic. It may or may not be sexual, but that's up to the folks engaged in the relationship. A polyamorous relationship is a relationship that is non-monogamous where people are trying to include romance with more than one person. A friend with benefits for the purpose of this conversation is someone with whom you have a sexual relationship, with whom you aren't intending to have a romantic relationship, although you may develop one at some point in the sexual relationship. A play partner is someone with whom you have a primarily kink-based relationship, although it may additionally involve sex. Relationship anarchy, as in our last episode, is sort of loosely defined as the concept of relationships conducted based on the concepts outlined in the Relationship Anarchist Manifesto, relationships outlined by taking apart the idea of defining your interactions with people based on the idea that they should be strictly defined by labels and ideas outside of the interactions between any of the individuals having those relationships, 
folks are defining these very heavily for themselves. Relationship anarchy can overlap with polyamory. Either relationship anarchy or polyamory can overlap with consensual non-monogamy. Play partners and friends with benefits can overlap with any of the above, but they may or may not all be overlapping with each other. It's sort of up to the people involved, and that's the conversation we're going to have today. So, sorry for the lengthy set of definitions. I'd have stuck it in a handout if it was a class, but rolling on. (laughs) Basically, the idea is, the nice thing about having play partners or friends with benefits is basically that you can get a lot of the same joy points or positives that you can get out of polyamorous relationships where you're forming new connections with new people, you can be meeting additional people, you can form new connections, you can get NRE out of them, you can have the kind of fun points of all of these things, right? But you often don't get the additional emotional pain that you get where you're extra insecure because your partner might replace you, might run off with someone else, might whatever, because there isn't so much emotional fear, right? You're much less likely to sort of worry about that because there's mm, less structural issues there. It's the thing that folks set up where they pretend that they're not going to have feelings in a relationship. This is the structure that they want. They imagine that they're not going to catch feelings in these relationships. And they may actually be less likely to because they pick their actual friends to have physical relations with much of the time. Or they have non-sexual physical kink relationships with people who they like, right? Uh, A lot of folks who I know in the kink scene remain sexually monogamous with their partners and just do scenes that involve rope or impact and have a lot of fun learning new skills and doing fun things that they then take home to their partners and do or do fun things that their partners aren't that interested in, but they have a little bit of interest in doing. And everybody has a great time And it's just kind of fun. So there's a lot of sort of joy points to it. The pain points come in when it turns out that actually there is some jealousy. Or actually there is some insecurity and they have to learn to handle it. And because they didn't expect those feelings, they didn't do any of the internal processing to prepare for it. Because they thought this wasn't polyamory. Or... They didn't prepare for this to be, quote-unquote, real non-monogamy. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to prepare yourself for this uh, suddenly, quote-unquote, feeling real in case one encounters a moment where in you or your partner conducting one of these relationships, you guys hit a roadblock where this feels real all of a sudden. And then we're going to go back to talk about what are some of the positives of this and why it 
is still worth it to engage in these relationships if that's an interest to you, because it certainly isn't for everyone. Lots of people don't feel that these more casual relationships, and I use casual kind of loosely here, for lots of folks, this isn't more casual, this is just a different interest for them, why this might be worth it for you. So for me, the joy points of these relationships have always massively overweighed the negativity points. Like some of my former friends with benefits are now some of my best friends. A person who was a friend of mine for about the last 13 or 14 years and then was a friend of benefits of mine from 12 years ago to about 10 years ago, then transitioned back to being, quote unquote, just a friend. That is the sexual portion of our relationship ended for unrelated reasons. We were in a like group situation that was sexual and that ended and she ended up becoming monogamous. And we've been friends for the last 10 years is one of my best friends. We talk four or five times a week still now and probably will to some extent talk and be close friends forever, right? So these things for me, being able to be kind of intimately friendly with people, growing out of being sexually intimate with people is part of how I connect to people. For me, that's really important. For some people, sexual intimacy is just another expression of their connection with folks. For other people, it's not that important and it's kind of a throwaway thing. So this isn't something that they find particularly important. So it's not something that they particularly prioritize. And for those folks, these relationships aren't something that they put front and center, right? And that's just a matter of personal choice. For them, if they or their partners have issues around jealousy for these relationships, this may not be something that they end up trying to prioritize. Likewise, with play partnerships and kink relationships, if they or their partner end up having issues with jealousy around them, it may end up being something that they don't particularly prioritize. However, there are definitely exercises and sort of work that you can do on yourself to improve your feelings of insecurity and jealousy around your partner engaging with others. And I want to talk a little bit about that now. We've talked a little bit in the past around sort of the idea of how jealousy works and what you can do when you get jealous. So I want to sort of touch on that a little. So there's this idea that jealousy is a secondary emotion. And in a way, jealousy is even kind of a tertiary emotion. Jealousy is kind of a front, a like check engine light for other negative emotions, for anger, for insecurity, for fear, right? Jealousy is this 
front level check engine light for, oh my gosh, something bad is going to happen that goes off in our brain. But like, is the check engine light for a loose gas cap? Or is it that the head gasket is going to go anytime now? You could get the same light if you're driving an old enough car that you just have a check engine light. I understand that we're in the modern era, so no one just has a check engine light anymore. Sorry, my metaphor is getting old. But this idea that we're looking at this kind of big feeling that's sort of a cover for what we got to get underneath to. When we get underneath it, we can start to pick apart what's there. We can say, okay, underneath being jealous, I'm actually kind of mad about the fact that they're doing this with with somebody else and not me. And I'm scared that they're going to end up going off with this person because they're going to be better at whatever thing that I'm worried about I'm not good enough at, right? If it's a friend with benefits, this person is going to magically be better at whatever sex act I'm worried about. Or if it's a kinky play partner, they're going to be way better at rope suspensions than I am and they'll hang my partner upside down and it'll turn out that my partner really likes that, right? Like for me, I know nothing about rope. So it'll be, oh wow, it turns out that my partner secretly loves rope play and I know nothing about it. So suddenly they're going to ride off into the sunset with that person, right? So that'll be my total fear now. And this total fear is going to take over for the evening. And so I'm going to spend the whole evening sitting at home, biting my nails, worried about this. Once I get underneath the immediate, like, jealous rage fear. Okay? But when I get down to it, is that fear really the bottom of it either? Okay, let's look under the fear. Well, actually... It's insecurity that I'm not good enough to keep my partner. Okay, well, how do I address that? That's what we actually have to address. Well, am I going to get to that tonight? Or am I going to have to get to that over time? And tonight I'm going to do nice things for myself and mostly distract myself because while I'm feeling this negative, I can't really take care of insecurity. Because those are my two choices, is can I build myself up to help deal with the insecurity tonight, or can I distract myself? And that's a personal choice. If you know yourself well enough to say, yes, I can totally tell myself I'm great and build myself up and like maybe talk to a trusted friend and have them build me up, do that. If you don't think that you can effectively address some of your insecurities and like work on that tonight, 
you can do distraction stuff. We have a bunch of those included in our episode on jealousy, but like my favorite is the make yourself a box of your favorite stuff. It used to be before all movies and stuff were digital, I would include like DVDs and stuff in it, but include books, include, uh, I have a copy of the jealousy workbook in mine because I'm a nerd. You don't have to. (laughs) I have a nice bottle of wine in mine, but that's because I like red wine. Uh, If you're not someone who deals well with intoxication, I don't suggest it. Um, You know, stuff you like. Chocolate, if you're into having a snack, like whatever makes you feel happy, right? So like puzzles or activities, a list of stuff you like to do, you know, reminders of things that make you happy, even if it's just a list of the things that you should be doing then. So like a list of movies you wanted to watch on Netflix so that you're reminded of stuff that you can do alone that your partner didn't want to do so that you actually go and do them. Bath bombs if you're the sort of person who likes to take nice baths. Do fun stuff without them so that you're not hanging out at home going, oh my god, woe is me. Why are they out doing fun stuff without me? I'm so unlovable. This is my sad voice, by the way. Do you like it? You should. (laughs) Anyway, but like, that's one of my personal approaches to dealing with when I'm having a bad time about these kinds of things. And I don't have such a hard time with the friend with benefits thing, but sometimes I do actually have a hard time with my partners having new play partners because I have this like internalized sense that my partners wouldn't be going out and finding new play partners if I weren't doing a quote unquote bad job at being like a good sub or whatever. And I know that that's the dumbest thing because logically it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, everybody's got their illogical emotional beliefs and that's one of mine. And so all of these illogical beliefs end up sort of living rent-free in our heads to some extent, right? And that's my lives rent-free in my head illogical belief. And I know I've spent a lot of time on these pain points, but to some extent, we have to spend some time on these pain points because they're the bit that folks want help with. They're the thing that we spend the time going, wait, how do we deal with this? Because when we get there, we go, wait, why am I doing this again? I was having tons of fun doing the activities that I signed up for this for and enjoying the NRE. Um, And then I got to the moment where my partner was doing this and it wasn't fun anymore. 
why? <laughs> um, and I promise it gets fun again. And not just because you're doing it too. Also because when you get through the little sort of dark valley moments, you get to the point where you're happy for them again. And not in a like, compersion is all flowers and I don't know, what's something else beautifully positive, like rose-colored glasses uh, kind of way, but just in the sense of things are nice again and you love your partner and once you get to neutral again about everything, you just get to the point where you're enjoying your relationship and the other relationships don't affect you negatively and so things are good. If you're generally more kind of monogamish and trying to expand that with some play partners, just make sure that especially if your play partners are polyamorous and are used to being more emotionally entangled in their relationships, you're really clear in your negotiation upfront about what you're looking for and about how entangled you're willing to get and sort of at what point you want relationships to be cut off if there are feelings involved so that your partner kind of protects themselves by cutting off relationships early if they are feeling those things for you because as much as that sucks to be the person who has to go, oh, hey, I have a bunch of feelings for you, so even though we've been playing this amount of time, I'm gonna say I'm out. It's better to be honest and communicative and say, hey, I have these feelings. Unless you have changed your stance, I'm gonna get out of here before I cause problems in your relationship. It's a fundamental incompatibility at a certain point, even if it wasn't when you started. Um, and I know that we're talking a lot about these potential pain points, but they're important to talk about because these are the things that really are what define these relationships as distinct from a standard kind of we're both poly and we're going to try to date situation. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but it is kind of a complicating factor sometimes because when everyone is coming from the same point of view, it's easier to negotiate in, hey, both of us are coming from the same point of view. If there are feelings, we can both grow this forward. There are legs for this to have a relationship versus, oh, neither of us is open to this becoming a relationship. Sometimes if everyone is coming from, we have a swinging background, there's no legs for a relationship that's easier, or everyone's coming from a polyamorous background, we don't intend to have this have a relationship because we don't have the bandwidth right now, but both of us have been in relationships where that happens, so we can just talk about it when that happens and negotiate from there. It's a little easier 
if each of you are coming one from each type of background, either monogamous or a kind of, oh, I only have non-romantic, non-monogamous relationships, and the other, oh, I tend to only have romantic relationships, but I'll try a non-romantic one because you're my friend, it gets a little harder. So you need to do a lot of communication as you go along just to check in that you're not in a mismatch, right? It's just a compatibility thing. So I would just advocate doing kind of regular check-ins about that. The format that they advocate on the Multiamory podcast, the Radar format, is really useful. They have two episodes about it, which I'll link in the show notes, um, that explain their format really well. I don't personally use it because I find it a little bit long for typical check-ins once you're in a really long-term thing, but I find it useful for early in relationships or for relationships that are in a kind of complicated position like this. So situations where there's a mismatch like this or situations that are very new, I find it particularly useful. So very early in relationships, I like to use the radar check-in at like two months, four months, six months to check in just to make sure that we're still at a matched set of expectations. So I would suggest maybe using that kind of format to make sure that folks are in the same place that they were when you started regarding not sort of catching feelings and expecting the same kind of play and things like that. If you're having a particularly sort of kink-based interaction, most folks in the kink scene are very good about negotiating as they go along, so you might not need to. Um, people in a sort of friends with benefits situation might benefit more from it. It's up to you guys to sort of figure out what kind of communication that you want as you go along. That's just my two cents. So all of that said, those are kind of the pain points that I see as potential issues there. As I said, there are a lot of potential joy points there. And I was using the example earlier of my good friend who, you know, 10 years later, we're still among each other's best friends. And I've got a few other previous play partners who we regularly not just hang out, but talk all the time, see each other regularly. And, you know, I hope in the future to have those kinds of interactions that sort of ebb and flow and have that same quality of being a really rich part of my life going forward, because it's one of the joyful parts for me of being in a local kink scene. There were a few years where, because I had really small kids, I wasn't so involved, and it was kind of sad for me. Uh, it's one of the things that you end up just having to give up in those couple of years. I guess you don't have to, but it was hard for me, certainly logistically, and I think it is for a lot of parents. Um, but 
it's nice now that the kids are a little older being able to get back into it. And I think, I think lots of folks generally can benefit from viewing these relationships as part of their polycule and as part of their personal network of relationships and of interpersonal relationships instead of dismissing them as, oh, well, that's just a friend with benefits. That's just a play partner. Because treating people who you're sleeping with or seeing in a kink context as a larger part of your personal life can really only increase the amount of communication that you have with them and make them a richer part of your life. And I think that only benefits all of us. And maybe that's my personal attachment to relationship anarchy talking. But as I sort of talked about last week, I think that that's a positive thing and not a negative thing. And I think that it's important to build our friendships and our interpersonal networks a little bit more richly and a little bit more entwined because in our modern world, we have a lot fewer deep connections and a lot more surface level ones and deepening the connections that we have with these people who we do relatively intimate activities with can only be a positive as far as I can see. If you disagree, that's perfectly fine. It's your life. But I think it is a good thing. So I hope this little overview of what these relationships can look like has been kind of interesting for you guys. And as always, you can find down in the show notes all of the links to the blog at readyforpolyamory.com, uh, my Twitter at lauracb88, the uh, Instagram at readyforpolyamory, Patreon at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory, the Facebook, which is now a group... <laughs> at facebook.com slash groups slash ready for polyamory, the Ko-Fi, which is at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory, uh, and a couple of articles that are related on the blog, and uh, the link to our intro and outro music, which is provided by the very talented Vince Conaway and his website, all linked below. And we will see you next week. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.